I could sit down and tell them how great I can help you and all the amazing services that I have. And here are my testimonials, but I don't do that. I take a step back saying, Hey, first of all, what inspired you to reach out and help me understand a little bit about what you've been doing for the last few years. Help me understand the areas that you're looking to level up and why you're looking to level up. So I take a step back to understand, Hey, why are we here today? What inspires you about selling? Where do you feel the gaps are right now? And trying to uncover what those are. Welcome to the Rising Leader Podcast, bringing forth the new wave of rising leadership and helping leaders find purpose, connection, and results. This is your host, founder of Alluvians, Alex Kremer. All right, y'all, what is up? And welcome to the Rising Leader Podcast. This is your host, Alex Kremer. If this is your first time to the show, we welcome you. The purpose of the show is to bring forth the new wave of rising leadership to help people feel a greater sense of purpose, a greater sense of self-connection with others, and oh, by the way, to drive great freaking results. So I am pumped about today's conversation. We got the awesome, the amazing Mr. Salman Mohideen, Welcome to the show, Salman. Good to see you, man. Good to see you as well, Alex. Pleasure being here. Appreciate the opportunity. Dude, it is good to see you. I've been following you for a good amount of time. I feel like every single day I open up my LinkedIn, I'm like, yo, that is a good little nugget here to be bringing into my day. So Salman, I'm, I'm going to kind of give a little bit of an introduction, a background in terms of who you are, and then I'm going to let you fill in the gaps of where I might have missed things. So first off, you're the founder of Salman Sales Academy you are helping AEs, SDRs, and sales teams find and close more deals. You're boosting income. You're boosting revenue. This is an awesome stat. When I was looking at your website, you've had 67 quota-carrying quarters within technology sales across 17 years. You worked at companies like Salesforce, IBM, Asana. You've been in the trenches quite a bit. And you've held so many different types of roles from SDR, SMB AE, mid-market AE, enterprise AE, strategic AE. You've done it all. And you are just in such a great level of service providing back to the tech sales or just overall sales community to support people and hitting the goals that they're trying to hit. So how did I do, Salman? I guess, did I miss anything? Is there any good nuggets that you're like, oh, yeah, but like, what about this about me? You missed one thing, Alex, which most people don't know. So that's okay. I'll give you a pass. But in 2003, I came in second place in a slam dunk contest. Okay, it wasn't the NBA slam dunk contest. Some people get confused. No, I was not in the NBA, but it was a league that we were in and it was a weekend festivity and I came in second place and I'm pretty damn proud of it. Okay, that is a phenomenal fact. Was this a 10-foot hoop that you were slam dunking? You, oh, you can dunk on it. You can dunk? I could. You know, I just turned 40 now. Back then, I was in my early, very early 20s and I was throwing it down with the best of them. So yeah, it was 10-foot, Alex. What was the move that you did that got you to second place. Please tell me it was a windmill or something like that. No, I, I bounced it and just dunked it. It was a bounce. alley to myself and threw it down. This other guy was just doing like double pumps and windmills. I was like, okay, yeah, I got to stop out here. <laughs> oh my God. Did you get a medal or anything? Do you still have the medal? I'm trying to look for video footage, man. This is 2003 that, when we had flip phones. So I'm yeah. looking for video footage. People had the full on like video camera out and were recording it. Oh my God. Well, I'm just kind of really excited to get into a little bit more about your journey. What's really cool is, you know, you mentioned you've been in sales in an individual contributor role since 2006. So you've been through a lot of different eras 
of technology. You've seen it boom and go back down and then boom again and then go back down. And even in today's era, it feels like, are we in a recession? I am not sure. We might be. We might not, we might not be. You are providing such great strategies and tactics to the sales world. If you look at you know the Salmon Sales Academy online, I mean, you have so many great videos and just pieces that people can implement right away. Where did you learn all of this? Was it just simply by you being in the role or did you go about investing into yourself? Was there a specific person that just like mentored and invested into you? Like, where did you gain all of this knowledge and this experience? So you see, Alex, like, you know, from your experience, you've been working at some world-class companies like the Microsofts and the Outreaches and the Catalysts. And I'm sure you can attest that sales is full of peaks and valleys. You're going to have ups, you're going to have downs. I went through a lot of valleys early in my career, so much so that I went through that first recession of 08-09 in my career, which was tough, and I fought through it. But I also was put on a PIP, a performance improvement plan, early in my career. I put my head down. I was distraught. I was like, is sales even right for me? And I kind of looked in the mirror and asked myself, what could I be doing better? What can I do at this early part of my career if I want to be successful in sales? Or should I just call it in and use my economics degree that I graduated with and find a job in finance? And I realized that it was on me. The reason that I struggled early in my career was not because I didn't have a great manager. It wasn't because I didn't have the resources available at my fingertip. It was on me not being able to really be self-aware and put in 100% effort and invest my self-development. So I put my head down for a while when I was put in that position on a PIP. But then I realized that if I'm going to get out of this hole, if I'm going to take my game to another level as a salesperson, it has to come from me. So what I started doing is I started learning from all of my experiences, deals that I've lost, what could I have done better, deals that I won, what could I replicate that worked for me that I can apply moving forward. And I started documenting and also learning from top sellers on my team, in my organization, and sitting down with them and understanding their craft. And given all this documentation and learning, I started applying that. And every year I started getting better. That's what helped me take my game to the next level. Mm. So what I'm hearing from you, it was almost out of necessity that drove your hunger to become better because we're all in sales. And then once you get put on a pip, it's like, oh shit, <laughs> like now what do I need to do? It's kind of like, what does Mike Tyson say? It's like, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. And sometimes that punch in the face is a very necessary driver. And so you get put on this pip and you're like, all right, I think this is the time that I need to start really investing into myself or at least being intentional with it. 100%. And, and that's what it comes down to sometimes. If you've been in sales for a long time and, and you've been in the game for a while, you're going to go through some rough patches. 100%. I haven't met someone that hits 50 quarters in a row. It's just not going to happen. It's not realistic. Things are out of your control. But what you need to do is control what you can control. And that's your self-development. That's what you can learn from every step in the cycle. That's on you taking the initiative and learning from others and their craft and people that are two or three years ahead of you. That's what I didn't do early in my career. I was like, you know, I can do this. Come on, I don't need the help. And then I got punched in the face. Like it's a, and I had to take it on my own. Yeah. I'm curious, was there a specific person through your career, and there could be more than one too, that really stuck out to you? that you say, man, if it wasn't for this person and their mentorship and really 
them just opening up and being willing to take me under their wing, I wouldn't be where I am today. Do you have one or two of those people? I'll be transparent. No, there wasn't one or two individuals. Typically, what I did is within each role, I try to identify two or three people that I could learn from and really just observe their craft, whether it was listening to calls, whether it was shadowing them, whether it was just observing to see how they articulated themselves in front of customers, in front of their managers, in front of colleagues, and really honing in on that craft. I'm a person of faith. The one thing that really I consistently really hook myself up to is God, you know, having faith in God, having trust in God, because what I found is the most rare quality in sales today, and I'm sure you can attest to this, is being patient, being patient, because we live in a world of instant gratification. If we send that email out, we want to get that reply right away from an executive. We want to get that deal in before end of month or end of quarter, and we'll do anything to get it over. But sometimes if we act in that way, we'll do things in haste. We'll do things that are maybe undermining our values or not something we would do in a normal situation. And for me, what I've learned is that if you want to be successful, yes, you got to be resilient. Yes, you got to put in the effort. Yes, you got to be self-aware and self-developed. But you got to be patient at the same time because things take time. And it took time for me. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really good perspective right there. And especially I... I remember when I was younger in my sales career, and in many ways, I still feel like I'm very young in my sales career, there was a hunger and a zest to move into management as quickly as possible. And I remember I got done with like two years in a closing role at Microsoft, and I talked to my managers like, I think I'm ready to like move into management. How do we do this? And they're like, slow down, young buck. You got a few more cycles to go until you really understand what it actually takes. And even to this day, as I'm coaching and developing younger reps, you know, whether it's an SDR trying to move into an AE role, an SMB AE trying to move into a mid-market or an enterprise type of role, there's definitely a, hey, you might know a lot of really good information. You might have developed the frameworks and, and maybe even the confidence. But there's something about just the simple aspect of time. You need to go through it and the experience of it to gain the wisdom. And even as you're saying, like 67 quota carrying quarters, that's a lot right there. <laughs> and a lot of emotions, I'm assuming, up and down within those quarters. Yeah, you're right. You're totally right. And I'm glad you bring up the thought about moving into leadership uh, because you know I think a lot of folks early in the career have certain goals. And those goals could be different for anyone earlier. It could be moving into sales leadership. It could be honing in on their skills and becoming an individual contributor and trying to go into an enterprise role eventually. It could be realizing that sales is even good for you or right for you and you decide to go to a customer success or marketing role, which is fine. But what I found personally for me, you might look at it, oh, why, why were you an individual contributor for so long? I get that question sometimes. Never thought about going into management. And for me personally, I had certain goals to hit. Personally, I wanted to get to enterprise sales. I wanted to cover the big banks and insurers in Canada. That was my goal from the start. I wanted to close those big strategic deals. But it took a lot of time. I was at IBM for about six or seven years, moved to a startup in between that for a bit of time, and it just didn't work out. And then I went to Salesforce, and it took me 10 and a half years, just over 10 years, to break into my first enterprise sales role. I went through SDR, SMB, mid-market. It took a lot of time and it was because of those ups and downs. It was because of layoffs and even a pip. That's why I tell people, if you have a goal in mind, 
it may not come right away. It takes time. And for some people, it does. For some people, they move into enterprise roles in a few years. But for me, it didn't. But it taught me to be patient. It taught me that you got to invest in your self-development. You got to invest in yourself. I wanted to cover those big banks. And there are certain income goals that I had. There are certain deal sizes that I wanted to close. And I eventually got to that point. And now I can say I've achieved everything that I wanted to achieve. Now, there was actually one funny story where there was an opportunity for leadership that came up, but I decided to not move forward with it because a funny story, the leadership team kind of asked me, hey, are you okay doing meetings on the weekends? We have weekly Saturday and Sunday leadership meetings for about an hour and a half. Honestly, man, when they asked that question, you know what went through my mind? I was like, Saturday mornings, I like to sleep in. Saturday mornings, I like to have a nice laid out breakfast with my family. I got three girls at home with pancakes and French toast, and I'm not missing out on those opportunities. So I told them, thanks, but no thanks. So it's a side story there. Who's doing Saturday and Sunday meetings? I'm like, that's just not a culture I want to be a part of. That's like, you're taking your job a little too seriously. If you're doing that, but I I love that. And so you got three daughters at home. And one thing that you mentioned earlier, and I just want to double click into people don't always like to talk about this on podcasts, but this is one of the favorite things to talk about is you you talked about, hey, your faith and, and God is a big part of what's driven you within your career with you as a sales professional. And I'm assuming as part of your faith, and then there's your family too, and especially having three young daughters, that's such an important part. There's one thing of like, can you be driven by pain or can you be driven by a goal or driven by something good? You know, there's two different ways to enroll yourself, even in sales. Do you want to sell towards the pain or do you want to sell towards the vitamin? But I would love if you would expand on like, how has your faith impacted you as a sales professional, even what you have done as you've started your own company, as you're starting to provide so much value to other sales professionals? Yeah, totally, totally. I really like this topic because when I first started posting on LinkedIn, I talked a little bit about the fact that, you know, I don't drink. I don't drink alcohol for religious reasons and faith-based reasons. And I think that's an important topic because there's folks in sales that don't drink for a variety of reasons. Maybe it's religious, maybe it's because they've been sober, maybe how they have family history, maybe it's health reasons. That's one aspect. And Faith is also about having values and not compromising on your values. And sometimes in sales, that can be difficult. You can put in certain situations when you're closing deals, when you're working with customers, where maybe you're doing something that doesn't align with your values. And you have to look in the mirror and say, is this really the right thing to do for me? What's funny is that when I started my professional sales career at IBM in 06 and companies like that, even now, but really back then, there was a big drinking culture. If you didn't drink, you weren't part of the club or you were kind of left out. Surprisingly enough, there was certain times in my career at these type of companies where I was joked around or mocked for not drinking, or I was not part of the club, or people look at me funny because everyone was drinking and my customers and I wasn't. But for me personally, yeah, early on, it was a bit tough. But I tell people that didn't affect me moving forward. Like, hey, I've been a pretty damn good seller for a long time. And I didn't have to chug down a couple of cold ones to close a deal. Mm. I had to really build a relationship with someone, build that trust, build a point of view, understand pains and challenges and align them to priorities. You don't need to drink to be able to do that. If I can tell myself I can align to my values without compromising them and still be successful, that's what I tell people, then do it, right? And you don't have to undermine your values to be successful in sales. So I think that's really helped me throughout my career. Mm, Yeah, I respect the fact that it's, hey, I have boundaries and standards. Like this is who I am and how I show up and what I believe in. And I'm not going to bend 
them to simply meet what other people want or what society is doing or what sales is doing. And I know I wasn't in the 2006 IBM era, but I've heard many different stories of there was a drinking culture and there's a lot more of another type of culture when you include sex, alcohol, or drugs, all that sort of stuff. But to be able to remain sovereign within that, I think is super admirable. And it also really ties into like, if you couldn't rely on that, you had to rely on your ability as a great sales professional uncovering needs, getting multi-threaded, building strong business cases. It was almost like your thing that you couldn't do caused you to become an expert and sensational at what other people were lackadaisical on. And look where it ended up taking you. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And one thing that I want to call out, and you bring up some really good points, is that you know I don't have anything against people who drink. It's fine. I respect you. I'm in sales. Well, how could I hate anyone that, <laughs> that drinks? Like It's part of this relationship building and happy hours and all that. But I think there needs to be mutual respect on both sides. And I think a lot of things have improved. You see a lot of folks on LinkedIn that I follow that talk about being sober for a certain amount of time and how it was tough early on, but now they've been able to really open up. And I love hearing the stories like that. There needs to be mutual respect on both sides. That's what matters in the end. Yeah. You know, what's really interesting to say this in like, you know, my experience, probably until 25, 26, I was drinking a decent amount, a little bit more than I wanted to. It was like the Thursday night and I would have uh, a Lagunitas IPA, which is a really heavy beer. And I remember after three of those, I'd be like, I'm full <laughs> from these. Since even being in New York and moving down here to Austin, I've found that it's, I don't want to say it's going out of style because there's definitely a lot of people who still drink, but it's becoming a lot more common for people to not want to do that and just to remain sober in some sort of way. So one thing that you are now doing within Salman Sales Academy is you're coaching and you're training hundreds, if not thousands of sales professionals at this point. When you are coaching and training them, how do you coach and train? What is your methodology around that? How do you think about developing a sales professional? Yeah, that's a great question, Alex. And I would even take a step back before I even consider that I might be a good fit or they may be a good fit for me to coach is I do what I would do in for the last 17 years, and that's go through a discovery call. So for example, I've had two discovery calls this morning with clients and prospects that reached out saying, hey, I'm interested in your coaching services. And I could sit down and tell them how great I can help you and all the amazing services that I have. And here are my testimonials. But I don't do that. I take a step by saying, hey, first of all, what inspired you to reach out? And help me understand a little bit about what you've been doing for the last few years. Help me understand the areas that you're looking to level up and why you're looking to level up. So I take a step back to understand, hey, why are we here today? What inspires you about selling? Where do you feel the gaps are right now? And trying to uncover what those are. And once I uncover, hey, maybe it's, I need to level up my discovery process because I'm getting stuck in the cycle. Or, hey, every time I do a demo, the customer kind of ghosts me and I'm not able to take control of my deals. Or, hey, I'm having trouble prospecting and getting more meetings. I try to understand why that's happening. I try to understand what the root cause is. And I also try to understand a very key point, which is, what's stopping you from leveraging your internal resources and the enablement manager? And I try to understand that before I recommend how I can help. And then to your question around how do I know what to coach them on, then on those sessions, I understand everything and really hone in on the key aspects that they're looking to level up and where I believe they can really benefit from and teach those aspects. And 
One thing that's really, really important to me, Alex, is that I tell everyone this, everything that I share with you, it's not going to be fluff. It's not going to be high level surface level stuff. It's going to be absolute actionable content that you can start using right away in your role. And if used the right way, you'll see results. That's something I do every time I write a LinkedIn post, I read it and make sure, is this something actionable that people can start using right away? So that's what I tell people to make sure that they're getting the most out of their investment. This episode is brought to you by Alluvians. Alluvians is helping sales professionals and sales leaders master the craft of sales by transforming the inner game. Last year, we threw over four retreats and helped over 150 tech sales professionals, leaders, and founders. And next, we got it going on May 3rd through 5th in the beautiful Austin, Texas area. So make sure you apply to alluvians.co to check it out for more. All right, Salman. So I have a question here for you. So when you are coaching sales professionals, what are you seeing as some of the common themes or trends that people are needing most right now? Because one of the things that I'm typically seeing is people are really hungry for the sales tactics and strategies. But at least my way of coaching a sales professional is supporting them with the inner game really feeling like they have a greater sense of self-connection. They're excited about what they're selling. They're enrolled into it. There's purpose in what they're selling. And I've always found that when we can do that, the sell becomes a lot more authentic. There's some zhuzh behind it. I'm curious, when you are speaking with sales professionals, what are the typical things that you're seeing and needing to really dive in a lot more with them? Yeah, like, so there's two things, mainly. Number one is the inability to lock in meaningful meetings with, with customers. And that's a big concern with a lot of folks. And I'll tell you why. Number one is, hey, Salman, I'm trying my best to lock in meetings. I'm trying to generate interest with their product. I've tried emailing, I've tried cold calling, and it's just not happening. And my pipeline is really suffering because of that. That's a big, big concern. But when I dig a little bit more, what I find is that one of the key reasons they're not able to do is because, which is probably the biggest reason, and I write about this a lot, is that they're focused more on the product than the problem. What, what that means is that when they prospect, when they share their message with cold prospects, they lead with the product. Hey, they lead with capabilities. They lead with features and functionality. For example, if I'm selling a customer data platform, which is essentially for marketers to you know really centralize their data, what they lead with is something like this. Hey, we help customers centralize their disparate customer data so that they can have the data at their fingertips and share personalized experiences for their customers on digital channels in real time, therefore increasing revenue and conversion rates. And that's fine. That's exactly what you do. But here's the problem. You are focusing on your product's language, the solutions language, the capabilities. Your prospects don't care about that. They are busy putting out fires in their day-to-day work. They are dealing with day-to-day problems, trying to hit their goals, trying to figure out how am I going to hit my targets. They're not dealing with you. They don't care about you. So why not lead with the problem? That same sentence that I just said, what if I flipped it over and talked about the prospect's language, which is a problem, and I said something like this? Hey, Mr. Business Customer, what we're finding is a lot of marketing teams find their customer data is scattered across a dozen different systems. It's very difficult to access, and their development team spends hours per day trying to cobble up that data and make sense of it. 
which results in a lack of personalized experiences for their customers on digital channels, driving down conversion rates and revenue. So you see what I did there? I didn't mention anything about the product. I didn't mention anything about the capabilities features. I just focused on the prospect's language. That is the biggest thing that I feel is missing. That's number one. So I want to double click into that and then let's go into the number two. So you're selling the problem, not the solution. And I even know from my time at Outreach and, and now at Catalyst, if we have that 30-minute initial meeting, we're usually not talking about our product until the final five minutes. I almost view there's four different stages of the selling process. First off, you need to sell them on the problem, get them really so like, oh my God, there is a problem here. And then you need to sell them that there's a solution to solve it. Then you need to sell them on your product as being the solution that should solve it. And then you're selling them on why now? This is why you should be purchasing our product to solve your problem right now. I'm curious if that's in line with how you think about when and and where you're supposed to sell. Yeah, you nailed it. I love your framework there, Alex. And that's so important. Sell the problem, not the product. Because there is no solution without a problem. You can't solve something unless you're solving a problem, right? So if you're not uncovering a problem, but the key is uncovering and selling the problem that someone actually cares about. I got a lot of problems in my life. I got a backyard fence that's been down for the last two months. That's a problem. I got to fix it, right? I mean, do I care about it among other priorities? It's not at the top of my list, so I haven't really dealt with it. But if you can shed light on a problem that people care about, that acknowledge, that more than one person cares about with power, and you can shed light on how it might be impacting them, their team, their business, if you can understand the metrics that are important to that person and how they're being effective, and they can agree on that and say, yes, this is a problem we need to deal with, then you can start talking about how you can sell them on the product. But if you don't have that as a foundation, I'm sorry, you don't have a real deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had an old boss. His name was David Rubenstein. I've mentioned him on this podcast before. And whenever we do this really big deal review with me as the manager and then the rep, the first thing he'd always ask is, so what's the problem we're solving for? If that problem ended up sounding a lot like your value prop, it didn't pass the sniff test. <laughs> oh, they're trying to solve for efficiency. Really? That's what they're trying to solve for right now? And so it's just, I, I love like, what is the problem that we are solving here? Yeah, and I might write something about this on LinkedIn today, but I encourage everyone to go through their pipeline. If the problem sounds pretty much the same across your entire pipeline, that's a problem. Because <laughs> they're just talking buzzwords, man, you know? <laughs> yes. It's like we need to have as reps, as sales professionals, a healthy amount of skepticism to all of our deals. Or is this passing the sniff test? We're getting a lot of yeses, yeses, yeses. That's not usually common. Are they placating us? Are they just saying the things we want and at the very end, they're going to lose it? It's like, how do we bring that to our opportunities? Yeah, exactly right. So, all right, we talked about one. So selling the problem. What's the second thing you're typically seeing trends that you are seeing that you're helping your clients, your sales professionals with? Yeah, totally. The second thing, Alex, is I'm losing control of my deal. I'm losing control of my deal. I'm losing control of my prospect throughout the sales cycle. That is the second most common thing I hear. That control can happen at any point throughout the cycle. But one of the most common places when people say, hey, I need to have better control of my cycle. I'm losing my deals to no decision, to competition, to price, to budget, whatever it is, right? There, there's a reason you're losing the deal. And maybe you can uncover it sometimes, maybe you can't. But I tell customer, this is what I do. 
and this is proven based on my research, is that the number one place or one of the most common places, probably the number one place that AEs lose control of their deal is after a demo. They show a demo. People are excited. They're like, wow, this is amazing. Let's talk internally. We'll get back to Sayonara. And then you're just playing the catch-up game. You're playing the follow-up game. You never hear back from them. Things go down. How do you take control of your cycle? How do you ensure that you are now controlling what you can control? Because there's some things that are out of your control. I totally get it. But how are you able to take control of your cycle so that you can set expectations with your pipeline and your forecast, that you can truly solve a problem that people care about? And there's a lot of different ways you can do that. It's about understanding the problem that you're looking to solve for, tying it to a customer objective or priority, ensuring that the last few minutes of every meeting, you're not trying to fit in everything in your demo because you want to show every feature, but are you taking a step back and outlining, hey, can I provide a recommendation on next steps? Sure. Here's what we can look like, whether that's building a mutual action plan, whether it's outlining a slide of what the next step should look like, whether it's locking in that meeting before you hang up the phone, which is the number one way to ensure you got that next step instead of sending email saying, does this time work? What can you do to better control your cycle? There's a lot of things you can do, and that's another place that people are kind of struggling with. Mm, I love that. So let me ask you this, because you've been around, this is not me calling you old by any means, but you've been around a little bit. And you sold in 2008 during the recession, the housing collapse. You sold in the golden age of tech sales, some would say of 2017 through 2020-ish timeframe right before the pandemic. And now you're selling, or you did sell at least at Asana in 2023. And I would just be curious, like, what was your favorite time? What was the hardest time? How have things really changed? And how us as sales professionals need to change, but really even how us as human beings and consultants and organizations, companies, corporates are really needing to change. So... Talk to me about just kind of the eras and and what you've seen evolve over that. Yeah, totally. So to your point, I sold in the first recession of my career back in 08, 09 at IBM. I did okay. I did okay, but it was tough. First of all, we didn't have tools like LinkedIn sales now. We didn't have the outreaches. We didn't have sequences tools. We didn't have the slacks of the world. We didn't have the sales loss. We didn't have any of that. You know what we had at IBM back in that day? We had Lotus Notes, which it was an email platform like Outlook that crashed like three times a day. We had a phone and we had Siebel CRM, which is the crappiest CRM in the world that is on-premise nobody uses anymore. Literally, it was just phones and manual emails being sent out, trying to get past gatekeepers. It was extremely tough to sell in that recession. Now, keep in mind, there wasn't as many competitors in the space as it is today, but it was still hard to get the message across to people. And it was tough. And for me, it was tough because I was young gun then. That was early in my career. I was looking around, where the hell am I going to get my help from? And how am I going to hit my numbers? But what I did is I learned from that. And I was able to apply those learnings in the next economic downturn. What did I learn from that? I learned three or four things that you should be able to uncover in every deal. And we talked about this before, is uncovering a problem, a true problem that somebody with power cares about solving, but not just the problem. How is that problem impacting the business? Hey, if you don't solve this, what's going to happen three months from now if you're not able to solve this? Understanding what that is. Does it matter to them or does it not care? It's quantifying that pain. And here's the biggest thing I'm telling you, Alex, the toughest thing to do in sales, in my opinion, in discovery is quantifying the pain. It's hard to do. It's extremely difficult to do. And it took me a lot of time to master that. 
So what I did was I took all those learnings from that last recession and applied them to the next recession. So in Asana, I blew up my number two years in a row. I finished as the number one A on my team. And the reason is because I took those lessons from the last recession where I struggled and applied those learnings now and was able to answer every question. Like literally, if you went through my deals, the majority of deals, I would say 90%, I was able to confidently answer. Is there a problem? Who cares about solving the problem? What is the quantifiable impact? What is the impact to the business? What happens if they don't do it in three months? And each of those were very specific to each deal. And if you can do that, you have the building blocks to really have a healthy pipeline. And that is what helped me push forward and get better. Mm. All right. So you learned that in 2008. That was kind of the impetus. You're like, okay, if I'm actually going to even get anything across the finish line, like I need to be really buttoned up here. What happened? So then we went into 2018 timeframe. That was when the introduction of outreach and Slack was relevant. It was a completely different game. Did you see the importance still of doing that? I'll give an example. Sometimes it felt like the older way of selling was like the sales person says, I just need to hit quota somehow. That's my whole goal. Just like get the customer to sign, boom, on to the next. I'm making a lot of money. Whereas now I really feel like the role of the sales professional is how are we adding not just value to the client, but also how are we taking on more of an advisor or consultant type of perspective and really guiding them through the evaluation process. And even now, you know, just from my time here at Catalyst, is a lot of it's about, hey, once they become a current customer of yours, how are you getting them to get what we call moments of impact, continual moments that make them realize the value so that you can renew them and then hopefully expand or upsell them? Did you see kind of anything change starting that 28 and onward here to 2023 timeframe? Yeah, I've been in the game long enough to your point where I've seen the transformation of tech tools for salespeople that they can leverage. And that can be a good thing and a bad thing. The good thing is that it takes a lot of resources off your back in terms of, hey, I can put someone in an automated sequence. Hey, you don't have to worry about follow-ups too much. Hey, if I've had a great call, I can put them on a sequence. Hey, I have LinkedIn Sales Navigator and all these other data tools to really help me manage the, the way I build relationships with customers. Those are the pros. But the cons are is that, am I getting away from the fundamentals of sales? And I feel that, slowly, slowly we are. We care about all these amazing tools and the way that makes our job easier, but are we getting back to the fundamentals of truly leading with the problem and really coming as a trusted advisor? One rule of thumb that I have that I try my best for every single interaction, Alex, is that every interaction that I have with the prospect, whether it's an email, whether it's a quick chat, whether it's a 30-minute call, is there any sort of value add that I'm provided? Mm. Is the 30 minutes that the customer is spending with me today, I want to make sure that's the best 30 minutes of their day, that they can go back and say, wow, that call was valuable. Someone really helped me learn something that I didn't know, or he shed light something on something. I go in with every call saying, can I make that happen for the individual? If I can, that was a great call. Whether yes. it led to a deal or not, I won't worry about that, but they see some sort of value. If you can enter your calls and enter your deals, putting your prospect's best interest before your own, you'll see success. Mm. That's a practice. That is not easy at times, especially if you have a manager breathing down your neck saying you're not hitting quota or you're on a pip. If you don't close a certain number of revenue, you're going to be gone. And it's like, how do I make it so that if my client wins, I win as well, whether or not close the deal? It's almost like you're kind of trusting in the sales gods or karma or whatever you want to call it. It's like, hey, as long as I'm putting out good juju here, 
I can know and I can trust it's going to come back. And at least I'm going to be you know, considered a more honest, authentic sales professional and they're going to refer me to people. Or if they don't choose me, like they're not right. And I will find the people who are right for me. That's practice though, for sure. Yeah. And just to double down on that point, you're exactly right. It's tough. Being in that quarter carrying role for so long, there's a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure. At the end of the day, like honestly, it's about hitting your number. If you hit your number, you're on top of the world, top of the world. If you miss your number or struggling, you flip that script, right? It can be difficult. People talk about detaching from the outcome and all that stuff. It's tough. It's not easy, Alex. You know this from your experience. It's not easy. And sometimes you just got to get super, super scrappy at the same time and put in that effort. For example, I tell people a couple of plays. I say, hey, if you've got two, three months left in the year, what do you do? Let's say you have an existing footprint of accounts. Let's say you have 40 accounts and 10 of them have some sort of footprint and they have a MSA with you and you're an approved vendor. Don't just sit back and relax and wait for things to come to you. Be proactive. Reach out to other business units across the account that might see value in your solution or it might have a problem that your solutions aligns to one of their use cases and reach out to them. Say something like, hey, we're actually working with Linda and your marketing department. They were facing X problem. Here's the results that they've seen. I think this might align to you and we're confident we could replicate this with your team. Would you be open to learning more? You do that across your accounts. You're being proactive versus being reactive. And that's what needs to happen. And you're still acting in their best interest. You're saying, hey, you might face a problem. We helped your team. I just want to share some of the love. So you got to get scrappy. Yes. Damn, that's good. That's good. All right. I've got two more final questions here for you. The first one is this. If there's a sales rep who's been in the game, either just starting or been in the game for a little bit, and you just had to say like, here's the one takeaway or words of encouragement or thing that you can do to not just be successful, to also start feeling a level of fulfillment within your job, like what would you tell that person? Yeah, that's a really good, really good question. So the first thing that I tell people, whether they're in their current role or considering another role is make sure you have conviction and belief in what you're selling. Having a great leader is important, but those people can come and go. Having great coworkers and cross-functional teams is very important for your mental state to ensure that you're working with people that you admire and respect, but those people can come and go. What doesn't go usually is the product that you're selling. And you want to have conviction that, hey, I'm waking up every morning excited to sell what I'm selling and talk to customers about these problems. Because if you don't have belief and you don't understand the value that you're providing and don't have conviction in it, you could fake it for a while, but you're not going to end up being successful in the long run and you're not going to end up waking up excited and enjoying work. So find something you have conviction in. And the second point is be patient. Things take time. And I talked about this before, Alex. Yes, you put in the effort, work your tail off, invest in your self-development, but things take time. It doesn't happen overnight. So if you see your colleagues getting promoted around you from SDR to AE, if you see deals not going your way, be resilient, be patient. There's light at the end of the tunnel. Yes. So good. So good. I love to the first one of like, have conviction in what you're selling. Because especially if you like the solution or you like the problem you're solving, you're going to be interested in it. You're going to want to learn more about it. You're not going to have to force yourself to read the white paper. You're going to want to go out and study. And that natural conviction, energy, passion for is going to come out, which I would argue is more important than any words or script that you can tell. And so my last question is this, and I just want to acknowledge you, by the way, of just how you showed up on this pod here and the passion you have for what you do and the value you, that I'm really seeing you provide to so many people on LinkedIn, myself, 
you're in service, which I think is such a great quality in someone to something much greater than you. And so the last question is this, the show is called the rising leader podcast. What do you view as the rising leader? I look at your frame in the background and I say the word gratitude. And I think that is the foundation to leadership. Number one is being grateful for what you have. You've been blessed to be put in a leadership position. You've been blessed with the opportunity to teach others and people look up to you. Be grateful for that. Check your ego at the door and be humble. That's what it means to me to be a rising leader. Mm. Well said. Well said. Well, Salman, how, if people want to get in touch with you, follow you, what is the best way to do so? Just follow me on LinkedIn, go to my features section. All my stuff is there and feel free to engage with my content. Awesome. Uh, appreciate you joining, Salman. Thank you once again, my friends, so, so much. Everybody have a great and wonderful day. Thanks for listening to the Rising Leader Podcast. Make sure you hit that follow button so you get notified every time a new episode releases. If you know someone who wants to take their lives and their career to the next level, send them this episode so we can all rise together. For more information, check out alluvians.co. We'll see you next time. And in the meantime, keep letting it flow. This episode is brought to you by Alluvians. Alluvians is helping sales professionals, sales leaders, and founders master the craft of sales by transforming the inner game. And in the past 12 months, we've thrown four retreats and impacted over 100 tech sales leaders, founders on not just getting better at the craft, but really working on the inner game, gaining clarity on their vision, and also overcoming what's holding them back. The best part is you'll be doing it in an incredible community of high performers who are also trying to do the exact same thing. Our next immersion is going to be this May 3rd through 5th in the beautiful Austin, Texas. And make sure you check out alluvians.co to apply there. Can't wait to see you.